And welcome back to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Jonathan Williams here at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Bricks and Mortar podcast, as you're no doubt familiar, is a podcast about property. So if you've got an interest in property, if you are buying, selling, renting or investing in property, then I'm sure that we will have something that is going to be of interest to you. Now, this is the second show that we've been doing in connection with mortgages. Last week, you will recall that we had a look at the affordability side of things. Again, three stages in connection with getting a mortgage for you. You're looking at affordability, decision and principle, which we're going to talk about today. And then next week, we're going to talk about the application. So that's the main crux of the show this week is all about the decision and principle. It's where you really get a good handle on whether or not you're going to be able to get a mortgage to buy that property of yours. But before we get stuck into that, let's talk about negotiation. My role in, well, my job, I guess, what I do on a day-to-day basis, I wear two hats in a transaction. We've got clients who come to see me for mortgages and I explain to them, yeah, no problem at all. We can organise the mortgage. We can deal with the insurances and the protection. But what a lot of clients don't know about me is that I've got 20, 25 years of experience as a solicitor in the trenches of residential conveyancing. So what I can do is I can wear two hats at the start of the transaction. I can negotiate on behalf of the client and we can put an offer in for the client. Now in 20, 25 years, I've come across my fair share of negotiation and there's some great negotiators out there as far as estate agents are concerned and there's some that are pretty poor I have to say and you know after a wee while in the game you've got a fair idea as to who's going to give you trouble and who's going to give you an easy ride but there is always that step into the unknown at the start of a transaction where you don't quite know how it's going to go so Let's talk to you about the good, the bad and the ugly. The good negotiation is where you've had a fair, a square go, a fair fight with the estate agent. They take a little bit from the, uh, the negotiation and you take a little bit of a, uh, something from the negotiation. So one particular example, just quickly tell you about property was on the market at... Uh, th- Back in in April, it was on the market. It was in an area in Scotland that clearly wasn't moving. It was home reported out at £350,000. In December, when my client came to look at the property, the property had been reduced to offers around £329,000. So clearly there was a deal to be done there. We decided that we were going to go in at £300,000. The estate agent come back and said listen that's just not gonna do it uh, as far as the price is concerned and then gave the usual spiel it was 350,000 now been brought down to 329,000 pounds clients prepared to look at an offer but not at 300,000 so they came back and they said 320 I went back to my client 
and we had, I guess, the opportunity of increasing from 300 to 310 uh, with the, in the hope that we would try and get the deal done at 315,000, uh, but we decided to go in and go back rather at 315. So there was a five grand gap between 315 and 320. The other side, so the other side, the state agents rather came back and we agreed on 317,500. So they felt that they got a bit of action from us because we'd started at 300,000 and we got fairly a good deal on the basis that we were trying to get the property for somewhere in the region of 320. So that's a good negotiation. A bad negotiation is where you put the offer in and you put your offer in on the basis that most offers very rarely get accepted uh, with the first offer. So we put the offer in and the estate agents came back and accepted it. And you're immediately, as a purchaser, left thinking, gosh, did we go in too high to begin with? Normally, when you're negotiating on behalf of clients, you will put the offer in, in the expectation that the offer is not going to be accepted, and then the battle begins. In essence, what you're trying to do is put a marker in the sand from the, the lowball offer they come back with their marker in the sand and then the game begins. And I think that as a purchaser, you feel that you've had a good negotiation if you get, if you pick the midpoint between your marker in the sand and the seller's marker in the sand. And if you can get the purchase price to be closer to your marker in the sand, that's what you're trying to do. Obviously, the seller is trying to do the opposite. So that was a bad negotiation. I mean, don't get me wrong, we lowballed it and, and we got a pretty good offer, but there was just something that sort of slight bad taste left in the mouth when you're thinking, gosh, for goodness sake, guys, could you not even have made some sort of, of effort to negotiate? So that's the bad. We've told you about the good and then the ugly. Well, the ugly is the closing date, isn't it? You don't get an opportunity to do any negotiation. And with the best will in the world, what I'm trying to do is to get as much information from the estate agent about their client, about any other prospective purchasers, so that I can then go back to my client and give them best advice as to what I feel we can put an offer in. And we had a closing date there today where a client came in Estate agents were out on the south side, played it very much with a straight bat, couldn't get any information out of them at all. And in essence, they just turned around and said, well, listen, just put your best foot forward and see how we get on. Uh, we were going to go in with uh, an offer. Um, we eventually ended up going five grand more than what we had initially discussed and the client got it and the client just got it by a whisker. And it was quite interesting because the estate agent came back and said that one of the reasons why they had chosen our offer was because they liked our guy. And when you're negotiating or you're advising clients or if you're a client listening to this, always be aware that there is such an emotional attachment to the buying and selling of a property that there's many a time that the 
client, the seller, won't necessarily take the highest offer and will take a lower offer because he likes the look of you. So do not underestimate that. It is, it is, it can be so, so important. And the other thing which I think swung it in our favour was that this was going to be a property. It was over on the south side. It was going to be a property that my guy was going to be likely, in all likelihood, living in, bringing up his family, probably going to be staying there 15 or 20 years. And an extra five grand in a mortgage is not going to make that big a difference to the monthly outgoings. And I said to him, I said, listen, if I come back to you and said, you've lost the property by five grand, how do you feel? And if the answer is what for you won't go by you, then you've made the right decision. But if you are really upset that you've lost it by five grand, well, the answer is you put five grand in. So there we go. That's the good, the bad and the ugly of negotiation. We've done a podcast on negotiation, so listen, go back and have a listen to that. There's probably some really good stuff involved in that. That's all about negotiation. Let's kick off this show about the decision in principle. Right, we've got to the second stage of the mortgage process. It's a decision in principle. You've worked out that the mortgage is going to be affordable for your client. So the client comes to you and they've maybe already bought the property or they're thinking of putting an offer in or they've got a closing date and they need to put an offer in. And we need to know, is in principle the offer going to be accepted? When you're putting an offer in for a property, most estate agents will be saying and asking you the question, have you got a decision in principle? Have you got an AIP? Have you got a DIP? They mean exactly the same thing. And for some estate agents, actually having a DIP, an AIP, a decision in principle, will mean that you are higher up in the pecking order when they are going to be deciding about which offer to take. So it is important, um, but I think some estate agents probably put too much importance on the, the decision in principle. So what we're going to talk about here is the purpose, what's involved in getting a decision in principle, the income and expenditure, credit report and budget planner, And then finally, what happens if it all goes wrong and you fail the decision in principle? We'll tell you what you can think about doing. So let's talk first about the purpose. The purpose of the decision in principle is for the lender to look at your credit worthiness, identifying things like your income, and your expenditure, but diving a little bit deeper than the affordability. And the big difference between affordability and the decision in principle is, of course, the credit check. The banks want to know what your history is in relation to your credit worthiness. 
How have you got on with paying those credit card bills? How, if you've got a mortgage previously, have you made sure that the mortgage payments are paid on a monthly basis? Have you missed any unsecured credit commitments, any car loans? Because if you have, then that is going to have a detrimental effect as far as your ability to pass the decision in principle and ultimately get a mortgage. There is no guarantee. If you get your decision in principle, it is just, as it says in the tin, a decision in principle. It doesn't go into the underwriting, but it gives you a fairly good chance of getting that mortgage. Once you do the application, it'll go off to underwriting and that's where the underwriters can sometimes start to pick holes in your application. But if you don't get a decision in principle, then you can say goodbye to getting a mortgage. Decision in principle, will that last 90 days? It will leave a stain on your credit report, a mark on your credit report. Pretty much all of the lenders will leave a hard footprint. And of course, what you all need to know is that the more footprints you leave on your credit report, then the more detrimental that will have to your ultimate credit score. So if you go and look at your credit report and at the back of the credit report, you'll see all the checks that are made. You know, a couple of checks aren't going to be too problematic. It's just if you start making three or four checks, then that's when you can start to see your credit report and the score tumbling. 90 days is going to last 90 days if you are looking at a property and you're unsuccessful at a closing date, then be aware that your your decision in principle, if you've already got one before the closing date, is going to last 90 days. And that clock will start ticking from the date that you get the decision in principle. So how do you get a decision in principle? Well, you will go to your broker and your broker will go on to the intermediary website and on the bank's intermediary website it will have a form that you will complete. Pretty straightforward. You just get the information that you've got from the fact find from the client and you'll then just complete the details within the decision in principle. And a lot of the details you already have got and filled in for the affordability. So you input that, you then save the decision in principle application. If you don't have all the, the, the bits of information, then this, the save button is a good feature on a lot of the uh, bank's intermediary websites. In order for you to complete the decision in principle, you're going to need the credit report and you're going to need a budget planner and you'll also need to have completed the fact find. So the fact find is your glorified form that will have all of the information relating to your client's circumstances. At Begley Brown, what we ask the client to do is to complete a budget planner that is a monthly budget planner 
What do you spend your money on? How much do you spend on food? How much do you spend on utilities, council tax? Do you have any unsecured loans? That kind of thing. So the budget plan is important because you've got to, in most of the applications for decisions and principle, you actually need to put in that information as far as the, the uh, form is concerned. And finally, of the three important documents, the fact find, the budget planner, the most important is the credit report. So I've spoken at this at length. Experian is one that a lot of the lenders will use. You can get a 30-day free trial on that. Noddle, well, that's your free one. You can go on to the Noddle website uh, and get a free credit report. And then Equifax, that's the third one that a lot of the lenders will use. Credit reports, that's going to identify what your credit commitments have been over the last six years. And it goes in to minute depth as to how much you've paid, have you been late, do you have any credit issues? And it really is something that we at Begley Brown are very keen on getting from clients because it avoids that embarrassment of the client saying, I don't have any credit, when they in fact do, or they're a bit embarrassed about the fact that they've got 15 credit cards and they've got an insecure debt running into potentially six figures. Credit and debt for many people are a little bit embarrassing. And you can take that embarrassing conversation or questions out of, uh, out of circulation by getting the credit report. So that's what's involved in getting that. You put all the information in, you press the button, and then the little timer whirs round, and hopefully, bingo, you've got your pass as far as decision and principle is concerned. And once you've got the pass on the decision and principle, then you can crack ahead and fire off your full application to get the mortgage process really finalised. But before we, we talk about that, let's talk about income and expenditure. And let's just delve a wee bit deeper into what's actually involved. So first of all, personal details. They're going to be looking for personal details for you. So they want to know who you are, middle names. If you've got a married name, we need to know what your maiden name is. We want to know when you got married. Do you have any dependents, any children? And where do you live? You need to tell them where you have lived in the last three years. So be aware that when the broker asks, that's the reason. It's not the broker being nosy, wanting to know where you stayed in the last three years. It's because the bank want to know. They want to know that if you've changed address over the last three years, that they've got an up-to-date address so that they can search credit files against that particular address. That's why they want it. Income, well, we're going, we want to know about employment. We want to know salary. If you're self-employed, then last three years accounts or SA302s. If you are self-employed, then get to know what an SA302 is. 
An SA302 is just a snapshot as to what your earned income is that you're paying tax on. And of all the documents, when we're discussing income, that's one of the ones that the lenders really like to look at. It's the SA302s. Your accountant knows all about that. And then we're on to expenditure. We're looking at unsecured credit. We're looking at student loans. We're looking at credit cards, car loans, unsecured loans. Everything is in the credit report. And that's why we want to see sight of the credit report. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of times when clients come up and they swear blind that they have only got two credit cards. And then suddenly you find out that there's a two grand credit card debt. And sometimes people with credit, they just bury their head in the sand. They want it to go away. They forget that they pay their £25, but it doesn't pay off the capital. It just pays the interest. So avoid that embarrassing conversation and just ask for the credit report. How do you spend your money? That's the budget planner. If you can't organise your finances sufficiently and you end up going into overdraft every single month, what does that say about you? i tell you what it says to the bank. It says that you're maybe not such a good bet to give a mortgage. So for goodness sake, Try an organ, at least for three months before you get your application sorted out. For goodness sake, make an effort and clean up your finances. They're only going to want to look, generally speaking, at the last three months bank statements. So make sure that they're as tidy as possible. It all needs to go into the decision and principle application. And then we're going to look at existing mortgages. Make sure you obviously pay your mortgages on time. If you are keeping hold of your existing property and you're going to be renting it out, some of the lenders are very, very cautious with regards to this kind of thing. I know that Nationwide Building Society will not take into account any income to pay that mortgage as far as the affordability and the decision of principle is concerned unless they see three months of income. And that sometimes is very difficult to, or impossible to demonstrate, especially if you're going to be uh, renting the property that you're currently staying in. So those are the six parts of the decision and principle, personal details, dependence and address, income expenditure, budget planner and how you spend your money, and then your existing mortgages. We press the button, fill out the form, press the button, Bingo, we've got the decision in principle. But sometimes you get that nasty red banner at the top of your computer. Declined. Referred. It is your worst nightmare as a broker. You're thinking you've filled out the, the, the application correctly. You've put in the correct income in the correct boxes. And you're thinking, well, this is an absolute shooty in. Can't possibly not pass. And then bingo, it's declined. And one of the things that, you know, we're all human. Um, sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll put something in the wrong box or sometimes you'll phone your business development manager and they'll explain that you need to process this, 
process the application a certain way and in fact they've got it wrong and it needs to be processed another way especially that is is more involved where you're looking at are they self-employed are they a contractor are we using dividends um, and and salary or just purely dividends so when or if your client has failed the decision in principle then that's the first thing that you need to go and do is make sure that there's been no human error in putting in the details into the application. You can also, and certainly this is what I do, I contact the business development manager to discuss the case and generally do that before I fire off the decision in principle, especially if it's a case that is maybe slightly, I've got a slight concern about whether or not it's going to be viable or not. Or if it's not run-of-the-mill, if it's a contractor, are they to be put in as self-employed? Are they to be put in as employed under a contract? You need to understand how the banks and building societies look at these kind of things. And that's why you should, in my opinion, go to a broker because we know, and if we don't know, then we know somebody who does. And it saves clients faffing about trying to get the right decision. So that's the BDM. We call the lender. And if that all fails, then there will be an appeal procedure. And that may well take the... the, the, That may well be a written appeal procedure in in all likelihood it will be. Um, It could take anywhere between 48 and 72 hours. You will need to have documentary evidence and you will need to have a reasonably strong case. And that's where the BDMs, the business development managers for the individual banks and building societies are very good. Um, You know, they are very much on your side. They're very keen to help or certainly the ones that that I've um, had experience of are very keen to help and they will give you a good heads up as to whether or not it's appealable and what the chances are of it being appealed. But then sometimes it'll just be declined and there's nothing that you can do. And in those circumstances, you've potentially left yourself with a hard footprint on the credit report. But it's not to say that your loan is dead in the water, far from it. It may be that that particular lender's criteria is pretty tough. And what you you should be uh, doing is looking at alternatives in the hope that there's another lender out there who will pass your criteria. So that's decision in principle. Next week, we're going to go on and talk about the application. We've dealt with its purpose, what's involved, income expenditure, credit report budget planner, appealing the outcome in the event that it falls outside criteria. That is the decision in principle. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to the second episode in our mortgage series all about decisions in principle. Next week, as I say, we're going to move on to the application. 
Always good to hear from you. Do get in touch with me on the email, jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.uk. We're still on the Facebook. Happy for you to join us there. Just type into the search bar, Bricks and Mortar Podcast. We are on uh, the blog, so the blog's coming out. Generally, you can find the blog on my LinkedIn page, so if you want to link in with me, then just look up Jonathan Williams. Delighted to have you on board there. And we're also on iTunes as far as the podcast is concerned. The video casts, trying to get those back up and running again, and we should have another series of uh, video casts. I think I'm going to do a couple on protection side of things, and then little snippets, 60 second snippets that we're going to go on to Twitter. We've got an interview coming up. Uh, we've got Chris Breckenridge coming on. He is with the estate agents Savills. He's working in the town. I've got an interview with him on Wednesday. I have met with Stephen O'Neill, who previously was uh, O'Neill Letting. Those of you who have ever let a property in Glasgow will no doubt have come across Stephen back in the day. Uh, For many years now, Stephen has been working uh, with, in fact, started up Newton uh, Newton Property, factoring services and also keeping his hand uh, in the letting side of things. So we're meeting up with him and, and he's keen to come on and discuss all things property. It's now the 5th of December and if you're anything like me, the party season will start to really kick off. Um, we had, uh, Lindsay's had their do on Friday and it was good just to go through there. I'm, I'm pretty much new with uh, Lindsay's, um, not met everybody in the Edinburgh office I work out of the Glasgow office, so a whole crowd of us went through from Glasgow and uh, went over to Edinburgh. And it's always interesting, I feel, when you're meeting somebody for the first time. There's a couple of solicitors, uh, resi solicitors, that I had um, met uh, or had transactions with but never actually met in the flesh. And it's always strange when you are at these events and you're talking to somebody face-to-face. And I was talking to, to this chap for probably about, must have been about half an hour. And after the half an hour, if you can imagine that I was talking to him face-to-face at 12 o'clock, by the end of the half an hour, we had moved pretty much anti-clockwise through 10 o'clock, through 9 o'clock, through 6 o'clock, and we were at four o'clock. It was it was very very strange. Um, I don't think I've ever had a conversation. It was almost as if we were having a dance for the for the thirty minutes. It was really quite odd. And I don't know whether or not he appreciated what in fact we were we were doing. Um, but it was it was quite odd. Um, on the hockey side of things we've got number one is playing in a cup final on it was meant to be I'm recording this on the Monday it's now been postponed because we've had another uh, cold snap in Glasgow so they've got the the final that is coming up on Wednesday so we'll see how they get on there and finally number two had her Christmas fair Um, Christmas fair is always one of the things at school that just uh, it's something that we have to go through and this year the Christmas fair they're all tasked 
with making money for charity and number two was tasked with coming up with an idea so she came up with a super idea for homemade snow globes you know the thing you stick the water in you've got the tinsel or the glitter you put it in the water you glue some ornament to the lid you, you screw the lid down you shake it up and it looks absolutely fantastic well it looks absolutely fantastic until you realize that the glue hasn't set and that the jar in fact is leaking and that you've not washed through the tinsel and it's all becoming cloudy. In fact, it just looked like a piece of shit, I have to say. Pardon my language, but it just looked absolutely awful, just the biggest piece of tat. So we had a conversation with number two and said, listen, I just don't think that this is this is going to work. And the, the main issue why it wasn't going to work was we'd said to her, well, how are you going to source these uh, jars? Oh, they're on Amazon, right? And have you ordered them from Amazon? No. How long are they going to take? Well, they're going to take a week. Well, you've only got four days. And what about the glue? So they hadn't identified the glue. And what about the ornament that you're going to stick on to the lid? No, they hadn't thought about that. So in the end, what we decided to do was just buy the blinking things. So we went on to some Christmas wholesaler, got... 36 of these snow globes, I think they were retailing it, or they were wholesaling it, 79p. The girls, they arrived on, on Friday, to tell you, the, the do, or the fair was on Saturday, and they arrived at half past two on Friday. I said, if they hadn't arrived, goodness knows what we would have done. But anyway, they arrived at half past two, we got them off to school, Christmas fair, 36, went like a fair, and you know what? They made 90 quid. Fantastic. So all's well that ends well. And uh, she was chuffed to bits in, in making that profit. It all went to, to charity. So that's enough of hockey interviews and Christmas fairs. I'm out of here. It's now just gone quarter past 10 on Tuesday. I'm off to bed and we'll catch you next time. Once again, this has been the Bricks and Mortar podcast. You've been listening. It's the Bricks and Mortar podcast. As ever, it's a sideways look at property.